Daniel chapter 2 verses 1 to 24. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king. May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time, because you realise that this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading or wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of his uh, magicians or enchanters or astrologers. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time, so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and rises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we are asked of you. You made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Well, that was fantastic. And uh, there is more to come. We leave it on a cliffhanger. Uh, what will Daniel and the King uh, do? We'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, my name is Richard, if we haven't met. It's good to see some of you, and good that others of you are able to join us uh, online. And as we come together, 
uh, to look at that chapter of Daniel. Shall we pray? Our Father, you reveal deep and hidden things. You know what lies in darkness and light uh, dwells with you. And so, Father, we ask as we uh, come to you, as we come to your word, please would you shine light into our darkness. Please would you teach us. Please would you show us yourself. And uh, please would you leave us wiser for having listened to you this morning. Amen. Would you like to know the future? Would you like to know the future? Uh, I did a little bit of Google research this week, just out of interest, really, and uh, I found a business report published a year ago. Uh, in America, uh, each year, the psychic services industry, fortune tellers, uh, is a $2 billion a year industry. $2 billion a year that Americans spend on psychic services. I, um, sort of, uh, this is quite funny or sad. Uh, the, the headline of the report was, it was published a year ago, Good Fortune. Improving economic conditions will boost industry growth. That may not have been written by a fortune teller. Uh, but they're $2 billion a year uh, in America on psychic services. They want to know the future. What about us? Would you like to know the future? Uh, uh, there's a few nods uh, in the room. There may be a few nods at home, uh, especially in a year that is so uncertain, where so much changes, where so much feels chaotic, where we know so little of what's going to come down the line. I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if this has been a growth year for psychic services, along with you know, Zoom and people who make PPE, sort of industries that have done well out of this year, because there's uncertainty, because we want to know. And if you're not the sort of person who would have your you know, palm red or the crystal ball or whatever it is, which, to be clear, I'm not recommending any of that, uh, it may still be the case that you spent more time in the last few days, the last few months than you normally would, hitting refresh on the BBC News website or scanning Twitter or wherever you go to see if you can get a slight head start on what the PM's going to say tonight. It might be that there have been those conversations sort of circling round and round and round. What's going to happen? When's it going to be? What about the vaccine? What about the new strain? What about the, uh, the summer? What about the winter? What about next year? What about the new normal? It may be the contingency planning as, as time and again, and we sort of, we're thinking, well, if we end up here, then we'll do that, and if it's this, then we'll do that, and if it's that. Or maybe just being up at night with the questions coming round and round and round. What about the future? Whether it's tomorrow or whether it's five years from now. Up at night, wondering praying, crying, would you like to know the future? In Daniel 2, we meet a man who wants to know the future. King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, kind of king of the world, really, at the time, and he's had a dream. And he's not going to discount that as some bad cheese or just one of those nightmares. No, when the king of Babylon has a dream, that is big business. And so he summons in, I've got a friend who calls it the ministry of magic, the magicians, the astrologers, the, the diviners, the wise men, and brings them in and says, I want to know. Because in that culture, when the king has a dream, it's significant, it's big business, it's going to tell us the future. And he's not the kind of man to wait till the morning, so I imagine he kind of you know, drags them all out of bed, and there they are with sort of something thrown on over their pajamas, hair standing in every direction, and he says, I want to know the future. And in Daniel 2, we learn two lessons, two truths for King Nebuchadnezzar, for us, for those who want to know the future. Two truths. 
for us as we face an uncertain future. The first is that only God reveals the future. Only God reveals the future. And in the video that we saw, that comes out in the contrast between the ministry of magic and Daniel, and the panic and chaos with one, and the calm confidence of the other. So the ministry of magic dragged before the king, sort of, you know, rubbing their eyes and yawning. This is kind of all in a day's work for them, or a night's work, I suppose. And uh, there they are, and, and I, I want to know what my dream means. Yeah, okay. Oh, tell us the dream, and we'll, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it, gradually they wake up, and they realize, no, this is different. Because the king's suspicious. You know, I tell you my dream, and then you make up some stuff, and kind of who knows if you're right or not. No, no, no. Tell me the dream. Then I'll know if I can trust you. <laughs> yeah, that's not how it works, your highness. No, tell me the dream, or I'll kill you. Oh. And uh, you know, the, the panic grows until at the end of the scene, uh, the astrologers answered the king, there's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked anything of any mad magician or enchanter or astrologer. You're nuts. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king, except the gods, and they don't live among humans. No one, they say, they're at the top of this game. They are future revealers. No one can do it. They say, no human. Like I said, we know that. We know that no person knows the future. We might feel it more acutely this year than we would have done in the past. They say, only the gods can do that. And our problem is, we don't have access to them. They don't live among humans. We don't have their phone number. Humans can't reveal the future. By contrast, here is Daniel. Again, dragged out of his bed in the middle of the night because the king's in a fury, everyone's going to be killed. Daniel asks what's going on. He gets an answer. And uh, he's, he, um, at verse 16, at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so he might interpret the dream for him. He doesn't know the dream yet. He doesn't know the interpretation, but he's confident. He asks for time. He gathers his friends together. He urged them to plead for mercy to the God of heaven concerning the mystery so he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. The panic and the chaos on the one side, and then how easy it is for the God of heaven. During the night, he revealed it in a vision, and Daniel praised him. The calm confidence, because Daniel knows that his God can do something that no human being can do, and Daniel wants to rub in at that lesson. He is brought before the king. That's where our video finished. And before he does anything else, he wants to rub in that lesson that only God can reveal the future. Uh, Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. And Daniel's thinking, a man who can tell the king what his dream means? No, no, you haven't got it yet. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied... No. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you're lying in bed are these, except they're not yet, because I want to make sure you've got it. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what's going to happen. As for me... This mystery has been revealed to me not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Only 
God reveals the future. And in some ways, it's a frustrating chapter. We're in the same situation as Nebuchadnezzar. We want to know what the dream was, what the interpretation was, what it means. But Daniel's going to hold us off for 30 verses and say, before that, I want you to know this. Only God reveals the future. Only God reveals the future. If you were with us last week or if you're watching uh, last week, then uh, we saw, didn't we, that uh, Daniel and his friends, they've been taken from their home in Jerusalem to Babylon. They've been made some of the king's advisors. And they are, Paul's phrase was, minority believers in a majority culture. Or Mandalorians, if that reference means more to you than it did uh, to me last week. But minority believers in a majority culture. And chapters 2 to 7 of Daniel written in Aramaic, written in the international language, truths for the world, but truths you need to hold on to if you're a minority believer in a majority culture. And the the subtitle of our sermon series is that God is revealer, rescuer, and ruler. And the first is here in Daniel 2, God is revealer. Increasingly in this country, as Christians are minority believers in a majority culture, Daniel would say, know that God is a revealer. There's a lot you can learn Uh, online from the news websites. There's a lot you can learn from the the friend you have who has a finger on the pulse and is right more often than she's wrong. There's a lot you can learn about the future from reading history. There are things in the Bible that no one else can tell you. If we want to know the future, Daniel says only God can reveal the future. That's our first lesson, our first truth from this chapter. Okay, but we want to know the dream. So, uh, on we go. The second uh, lesson, the second truth, only God's kingdom will last. We finally get uh, to the dream, to the statue. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet, partly iron, partly baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away, and they were gone, without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we'll interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he's placed all mankind, and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, wherever they live, he's made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, uh, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Uh, This is the beginning of what the dream means. You have this great, glorious, world-spanning empire, and after you, there'll be another one, and then another one, and then another one. At the fourth one, we get a bit more uh, detail. Uh, Finally, there'll be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks the things to pieces, this kingdom will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw, the feet and toes are partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes are partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, 
So the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. And maybe uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, maybe you, are thinking, okay, could someone come and interpret the interpretation for me? Because it was making sense and now it's not. Uh, I'm going to say come back uh, in the future weeks. Daniel's just hinting here at some things that will develop as the book goes on. We'll learn more about who these kingdoms are, what they'll be like uh, as the chapters go by. But I think actually the focus in this dream isn't that particularly kingdom after kingdom after kingdom and who are they, but all these kingdoms make one statue. They all make one statue. And there's a sense in which all these different kingdoms, diverse as they are, kind of coming and going as they do, they do just make up one human kingdom. And they all share things in common. When you fast forward a few chapters in Daniel, chapter 7, he'll come back to these four kingdoms, but describe them as, as beasts, as monsters. Jesus, later in the Bible, will say, the lords of the Gentiles, of the nations, lord it over them. He'll say, yeah, there's differences in different places, but there is a, a common shape to human kingdoms. It'll manifest itself differently in ancient Babylon than it did in ancient Rome, differently in modern-day China than modern-day America, but they are cut from the same cloth. There's a common DNA that wants to grab power and grasp it and accumulate it and keep it and will hurt other people to do it. The human kingdoms, in one sense, are one human kingdom. One statue. And then one rock. At verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. See, this one rock, it comes in the time of the iron clay kingdom, but it doesn't just break that one, it breaks all of them. And of course, if you've read ahead in the Bible, it is talking about Jesus and his kingdom, and when he returns to establish it finally, it will destroy all other kingdoms and their power. At a stroke, it will put in the bin the chariots of Babylon and the phalanxes of Rome, the warships of Britain that used to rule the seas and the Nazi Luftwaffe, nuclear submarines and unmanned drones, mobs on Twitter, mobs in the Capitol building, and whatever it is in the next centuries that we invent to oppress and to uh, extract power, all of it, in one moment, will be crushed and destroyed and blown away like dust. When Jesus comes and his kingdom is established and reigns forever and will never be given over into the hands of another, that's the dream. That's the vision. Only God's kingdom will last. What did King Nebuchadnezzar make of that as we read on, Daniel says, The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true. Its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. He's got it. For you are able to reveal the mystery. What we're not told is how did King Nebuchadnezzar sleep at that night. We'll find out more about him. He has more encounters with this God of heaven. He'll learn more things about him as the chapters go by. But that night, it's one of my curiosities about this story, how did he sleep? 
Did he go to bed and think, all is well. I'm the head of gold. I rule over the nations, and who cares what happens after me? Or did something niggle at him as he was lying down? What about this stone? Am I on the wrong side? We don't know. We'll find out more about him in the weeks to come. Uh, What about us? Uh, What does this dream do for us? Should it help us sleep, or should it keep us up? I think it depends on the direction of our lives. If our lives are about uh, setting up, establishing, securing our own kingdoms, whether that's because we have power and influence over others, or just because we're trying to make a legacy for ourselves through our work or our family or church or a hobby or whatever, if that's the direction of our lives, Daniel 2 might keep us up at night. Because there is a kingdom coming and a king coming, which in a second will smash all of that and turn it into dust. On the other hand, if we're a part of Jesus' kingdom, then this dream can help us to sleep at night. Because our king will come and he will rule and it will last forever. At home in our house, when we're reading stories to the kids, and you get to a bit in a story that's a bit sad or a bit scary, you know, in a childish way, but something that happens that works us up, I'll often kind of hold the kids close and say to them that, Do stories have happy endings or sad endings? (laughs) Happy endings. Uh, Because that's true when you're, you know, four or five. Happy endings. Should we keep reading? Yeah. And it's okay. We know the ending of the story will be happy. We can push through the little trauma that there is along the way. Now, I know when you're 14 or 15, you've read plenty of stories that don't have happy endings, whether those are fiction books or true stories. When you're 40 or 50, you've lived through and seen friends live through plenty of things that don't end happily ever after. But in Daniel 2, our Father is holding us close and whispering in our ear, this story has a happy ending. There might be a lot of hard and painful chapters on the way, but the ending of the story is happy. The ending of the story is Jesus and his kingdom forever, and no one will take it from him. Only God reveals the future. Only God's kingdom will last. There is a happy ending to the story, and Jesus' people can sleep well tonight. As we finish, uh, Daniel, uh, his response to that is to praise the God of heaven, and so at the heart of this chapter, we have his prayer of praise. And I wonder if we might end by praying it uh, together, uh, whether in the building or at home, and uh, declaring together our faith in Daniel's God. And, And I'd suggest, if you're someone who wants to know the future and is finding this week hard... You could do worse than just at the breakfast table or before you log on to the news, just saying this out loud each day this week. It'll do you some good. But for now, shall we say together as we finish, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. Amen.